0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO podcast. I'm your host Taylor Michaels. Our guest this episode we've got Adam Bartusik from the Crappie Chronicles back on the show. Uh, we've had him on before, uh, once or twice, uh, but Ad- Adam, good friend of the crew. Um, you know and those guys; uh, they they produce great content. I'm talking about the Crappie Chronicles. Adam's buddies; he they, he goes by Bart, and his YouTube channel is Bart B A R T. Head there, check all that stuff out. Watch all that stuff. Super, super educational, fun, entertaining uh, ice fishing content. And uh, you know they've gone through three seasons now. And in this conversation with Adam, we kind of bounce around all over the place. But I love the industry part, portion of this conversation, and just kind of you know what the last three seasons have been like, and what they've really meant, uh, and just some of the learning, and just some of the cool takeaways there, and the cool destinations. We touch on a lot of different things, you know, with Adam, and then. Uh, talking about you know going into season 4 now just sort of where that uh, where that all stands and and you know here we are right on the cusp of the 2023-2024 ice season um, i would say you know right now uh, it, it, there's very, very few people doing any ice fishing. There's only a few inches of ice on a lot of places, but I, you know, a week from now, or by the time a lot of people listen to this, uh, there's going to be uh, probably quite a bit of fishing going on or, or getting close to. So, um, you know, very fun, entertaining, early ice conversation with Adam here. So uh, let's get into it. We got Bart. Let's do it. This is the season for hunting and fishing opportunities in the state of North Dakota. If you hunt big game here, Remember to do your part in protecting the herd. And that means knowing and following the regulations regarding chronic wasting disease here in the state of North Dakota, specifically the carcass disposal requirements. Any game carcass waste that is transported outside the hunting unit where the animal is harvested must be disposed of via a landfill or waste management provider. If you're hunting big game in North Dakota, it is your personal responsibility to educate yourself on these regulations and this information. Luckily for you, it's very simple. Just head down to the description of this podcast and click on the link that is gf.nd.gov/cwd. That's where you're going to get the information on the regulations and all information regarding chronic wasting disease in the state of North Dakota. This episode is brought to you by Devils Lake, North Dakota. Devils Lake is one of North Dakota's premier outdoor recreational destinations. And to find out more about what the lake and the community of Devil's Lake has to offer, head to DevilsLakeND.com. That link is in the description. If you have any fishing memory or fish that you would like to commemorate with a replica, or you have questions about getting fish replicas done, reach out to Jamie Rizavi from Rizavi Taxidermy Studio in New Rockford, North Dakota. Jamie and his crew do next-level work here at the JMO headquarters we are blessed to have so many replicas made by Jamie. Reach out. You can find them on social media or online at RizaviTaxidermyStudio.com. The link is in the description of this podcast. You know, early ice before it happens, like before we've drilled a hole right now where we sit today at like, like, what is early ice for you? What are the vibes like for you? What are the think the things that you like to think about? Are you, you know, are you thinking about last season? You know, are you going to try to start where you left off? Are you, you got all kinds of new ideas? Do you sit and just um, grind on your tackle and your gear? Like, like, how do you, like, what do you do right now to keep yourself busy in the spirit of, like, early ice season? Go ahead.
1: Yeah, um, I would say so the gear and tackle part honestly is by far the last thing like i'm sitting here right now with nothing done um and that's what i have to do later today actually funny enough so um yeah gear and tackle i am way behind on like i have it all it's just in a corner um not pulled out or assembled yet i also just moved, so that doesn't help but um early ice for me in general and I guess the excitement for us with the copy chronicles is just, we put so much time into like research and studying and just making sure we're prepped. So when we need to make a game time decision, like there's no really mulling it. We just go. Um, I think it's just the excitement of like making those decisions and just starting to go. Uh, that that's really what gets us going. I think um, this year, once again has been a little different cause we've been putting out a bunch of content all November. So I've just been editing and like working on stuff. And I was joking to Griff the other day, actually, I was like, this is such a weird, weird time of year. um heading to St. Paul because typically like it's the kickoff of the ice season and like, you're excited to see everybody and talk and like, you know, it's just that kickoff. And I have, I literally haven't stepped on ice. I don't even have rods or anything ready, but I feel like I've been ice fishing for a month because we've been posting content of it. So it's, it's like super weird. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, dude. Like
0: from a fishing standpoint, maybe this is like a more personal question. Do you have like, do you feel like early ice is kind of a tradition for you? Do you have like certain things or maybe it's a place that you like to fish or memories or so like, like is early ice any type of a tradition for you or or do you feel like you're just like pedal to the metal right out the gate? You're trying new things. Everything is just like, you know, brand new season. Like, like like, what's your vibe around that? Do you have any traditions early ice?
1: Uh, Honestly, not not really. Um, I used to I would go like up north to, you know, like Otter Tail County or the Bemidji area or something like that. And just I was, you know, one of the guys chasing the first ice in the state Um, used to do that a bunch. And I mean, I still would. It's just now that now with where the Chronicles is and everything, it just doesn't really fit in that space. Um, So now, I mean, the early ice tradition for me mainly now is just going out around the metro on you know whatever freezes first and just kind of i mean we we just start filming right away to be honest like there's not there's not a lot of scouting or anything that happens like anything that happens we're we just got goPros on and we're going so as sad as it is to say there's just not not much transition or not much tradition i would say to start in the season other than like St. Paul ice show some, uh, like we had our event at Thorn brothers this year, stuff, stuff like that, like shows. But other than that, no, man, just kind of roll into it and start doing it.
0: Talking about that. Not a lot of transition. You guys just, you, you jump right into it. Um, you've been doing it for a while now. So some of that stuff's probably, you know, a little bit like riding a bike, maybe, you know, some stuff might be kind of fun and, uh, you know, the first few times out knocking the rust off or whatever, but, but early ice, as far as the fishing goes, what what do you feel like, it, you know, it, it makes early ice early ice? Like, what are some of the curveballs for early ice? Um, you know, you know and, and we're talking crappie chronicles here. I'm just talking to you like any kind of fishing that you do. I'm not assuming that you only target crappies. But if we end up just talking about crappies, that's totally fine with me, too.
1: I think and something that changes year to year, I think that not a lot of people maybe take into consideration when they're doing their study and getting ready is uh, water clarity and ice clarity. Um, what I, what I mean by that and like, this is a big way how we dictate where we go for like the first few weeks of the ice season is, and this has been figured out while filming mainly um, is knowing like uh, most people hate snow on early ice. I actually wish it did snow Um, Not a lot, but like two to four inches because it makes all the bites better, in my opinion. Um, When you have just glare ice, like we have clean, beautiful ice building right now. It should be a great year with the way the temps are looking and the forecast looks. We're going to have a really strong base of ice all around the ice belt. But it makes the early ice season much more difficult and much more like sunset and sunrise driven, I feel. Or you have to go to dirty water or weeds. Um, So because like, you know, think of it, like there's just this perfectly clear cap on top of them. Like they're terrified of you. So they're going to move. I I think that's a big thing. So when we're, you know, looking at where we're going to go early, you know, with the conditions we have, it's like, okay, maybe we're going to have to go to some dirty water right away, just so these things don't freak out and leave us and we'll leave other bites until we get some snow or maybe we get more than eight inches of ice and it cracks a little bit and we can get some cloudy ice. Um, That's the thing for me. Like, like I said, I used to be a guy who used to chase some of the first ice and I had some really good times doing it, especially at like sunset, but more often than not Griff and I are out there on three and a half to four inches of ice poking around and you're just like, man, these fish don't want to bite. <laughs> and then you show up like a week later and there's five or six inches and they're like chill. So it's almost like they get freaked out for that first week while there's ice building and everything. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. 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 I think that's a great point, you know, cause that really touches on people's expectations. You know, it's like everybody's rearing to go and get out there, whether it's, you know, your home body of water, you got something in your backyard or whatever, like everybody across the Midwest is like ready to get out on whatever fun bite they got on their mind you're thinking about you know crappies and that's probably true with a lot of different species but definitely um you know hearing that from your experience on the crappies it's like you know people might you know you know that, that early ice it's a highly anticipated time of year that pent-up demand for any just like you know hardcore ice anglers but if the bite's tough that might help explain maybe what they're dealing with That's what I like about that. It's just great. That's just great perspective. Like, and you said another, you know, you said something in there that I really, I really like, and this might be something that I, I, I I like touching on with you is like, you know, you said, you know, you learn through filming. Um, You know, the industry has taught me a lot of things. I've been exposed to a lot that I probably, although definitely otherwise wouldn't have, you know, just days of fishing in different locations, different being, you know, in, touch with different people whatever it is lots of learning going on for me just as a result of the opportunities and and you work in the industry like that like you learn from filming you fishing you know shoulder to shoulder with you know just top-end guys doing what you love to do like what would you say do you, you think about that quite a bit like is there like a list of ice fishing like do's and don'ts and tactics and strategy like what are what are a few other things that you feel like in recent years like doing the crappie chronicles, just things that you've learned?
1: Yeah, I think number one, and it's such a huge cliche, but especially with the way technology is now, like we're learning more now than we ever have about fish. Like I firmly believe that we are, you know, there's, you see it in the open water side, on the bass side, on the walleye side, wherever you look, we're learning so much about fish behavior right now. So going to the ice fishing side it tends to be an industry or just a fishing world in general that kind of lags behind open water in my opinion so we're like on this cutting edge of all this new stuff that people don't even know that fish do um so with the learning through filming and like things we've learned is like you know uh i guess some of the tricks we've kind of kept kept quiet for a while and they'll slowly start coming out but There's fish behavior that we've always been told like conditions are like this, fish do this, that are actually completely wrong or most fish don't actually obey that. And just learning through so much time on the water, and, I mean, this could be for any species, but, you know, I spend a vast majority of my winter chasing crappies. So when you're solely dedicated to one species and you spend, you know, 60 to 70 days a winter just staring at them, not on one body of water, but, you know, 20 to 40 bodies of water, you, you learn a lot about their behavior really quickly and just, you know, how different um, they actually are. Like, for example, like everybody says high pressure is terrible uh, for ice fishing and everything. There are certain lakes that we only go to when the, hot, the pressure is absolutely maxed out now. Like we've just figured out that that's when you catch the really big ones out there. And why? I have no idea. It does not make any sense to us. But if we go there at any other pressure, they, they are just not there. They're acting funky or, you know what I mean? But high pressure, for some reason, they're perfect. You go do that on a different light. They won't stop moving. You can't even catch them. So there's just, uh, there's all these theories we've been taught forever that I think are changing now. And that's, what's super exciting and fun for me is, like rewriting the book. I I think that's the most exciting thing that I've been looking at the last, you know, three or four years as we've been doing this and fishing with guys like Adam Griffith and Matt Waldron. Like they're so, so, so good at ice fishing that you just immediately get down a good path. And then we're able to always test a bite. And that's one thing I would say we're really good at. And then adding in, you know, Pinkala, like he's just a fish catcher, man. That guy catches fish.
0: So I've never I'm going to interject there because like I've never met him. I've never talked to your buddy, Ryan. But when I'm watching the, when I'm watching the Chronicles and this is something that is like that I talk about in my daily life or like, you know, anything that you're doing. But like, you know, your attitude and your the vibe, the energy is is important to have confidence on like long days or long weeks of fishing. Right. And I feel like Ryan definitely brings such a fun energy to your guys's crew. And I feel like it it. It applies like like you guys are always you're grinding just like anybody else. It's not like the fish are like jumping up the hole because the Crappie Chronicles guys are there. You guys are fishing hard a lot. And um, I feel like your buddy Ryan always has that smile on his face, and I I would appreciate a guy like that having him around because you could you know like you could be you know grinding hard and maybe maybe behind the scenes it's a different story, but I feel like your buddy Ryan has and he's definitely a raw talent. He definitely catches fish, uh. So I just wanted to throw that out there and throw him a bone because I've never I've never actually reached out to him, but I feel like um, and he definitely brings a, a cool um, presence to your guys's crew in that regard?
1: Yeah, no, right. Ryan, Ryan's got great, great vibes, great energy. And everybody who watches loves him for the different things he calls big fish. And those like are not planned or anything that just come out of his mouth. So yeah, he's got great energy and it, you know, it feeds into the whole crew. Um, everybody's kind of got, everybody's got their own thing. And like, if one of us weren't there, or wasn't a part of it, it wouldn't be the same because it's, you know, we all bring certain things to the table that make us all excel as a group. And we're very aware of that, you know?
0: Yeah. 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 And then I was talking to, to Griff one, one time and I don't know if it, I had him on podcast. I don't know if I, if I aired that part of the conversation or or if it was before or after, I, I don't remember, but I'll have to go back and listen to it. But, um, I think last year when you guys, tra- you guys traveled and Griff went out East, like, uh, and was fishing like a day or something like that by himself. It was like some of the first like footage that you guys had where it was just like one guy was out like scouting, you know, you probably know yeah, what I'm yeah. talking about.
1: Yep. Yep. Right, right. When we got to Maine, cause Griff and I got there a few days before the other guys. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And, um, I remember thinking to him or I was talking to him and I thought, you know, um, uh, it was interesting as a fan to watch that and see one of you guys by yourselves. It was like, Oh my gosh. Like, like I'm watching just one of these guys. You know, and he yeah. and he went out, and it was real fun. Like it was good footage, and every it was really, um, it was really fun to see him kind of operate a little bit, and and just how you guys kind of showed up and and then kind of uh evaluated the information that came from one of you. But there was video evidence. It was like a really interesting little showcase of interaction. I don't know if you guys even have thoughts of it or not, but like, man, I think that that part was kind of interesting where if you guys just all strapped on your chesties and just went your different ways and scouted lakes and then came back and just showcased how you like, how you share information and re you know, how you break it down mentally and, and, and just how you guys interact. I thought that was like super interesting. I don't know if you ever like got any feedback like that or thought about that or not. I don't
1: know. Yeah, no, no, that was, that was one of probably the like I put it in and I knew people were going to like it but I didn't know it was going to get as great a feedback as it did. Like the feedback we got on that was overwhelmingly insanely positive. Like people were like, dude, going with Griff for like six hours while he breaks down a lake was the coolest thing ever. I was like, okay, like, like, and that's the thing, like this next year we'll we'll probably be able to do that more because we're also going to lakes. We fairly, you know, kind of know, and we, you know, you fish change every year on a lake. But going out and there's four of us and being able to be like, okay, me and Pink will go this way. You and Waldo go that way or whatever and start looking because, you know, we we have the same amount of ice fishing time as everybody else. You know, we got three or four months, whatever it is, and we got to go make it happen. So we're going to be as efficient as we can. And we did that split up on um, up on bowstring, too and film that it wasn't one guy, but it was Waldo and Griff and then me and pink went and did something else. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and we showed like, you can be successful doing two different things. Like me and pink ran into a school and then Griffin Waldo ran into a bigger school. That's um, what I'm saying. I so, love
0: that stuff. Like I pick up on that a lot. Like I'm always trying to like, look at the bigger picture. And when I see you guys operating that way, um, you know, again, it's like, it's so impressive when you guys go places and you break it down as a crew. Like that's, that's really like where I just like how you guys interact, the conversation and the fish catches, like, like you put it all together. I learned a lot from you guys for sure. Um, but you know, I'm talking about like Griff, it could be any one of you guys. Like, like if any, I think it'd be fun to watch any one of you guys go for six hours and just see how you do things or just talk to yourself differently. Like how your brain functions when you're by yourself, um, you know, would be, it would be uh, educational in some way, shape or form differently for every one of you. So I, you know, it would, it just so happened that like, it was like, you know, Griff went on that one, but I, dude, I think that, uh, somewhere down the line, that might be kind of interesting for you guys to kind of lean into, I don't know. Anyways.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. That, that, that'll end up happening. Like people will see more of that. And actually that whole scene that happened and the feedback we got from it and the feedback we got last year. I mean, I'll let you know because it'll be out in a week anyways, but it spawned a – we have a whole other series of videos that are either – I'll either be putting one out tomorrow or they'll be starting to come out next week. But they're very, like, info-driven, very technical for the people who are, you know, like – the Chronicles is very technical and detailed and like it teaches a lot of people stuff, but also like, it's an entertainment show. Like we have fun and you know, it's entertaining for everybody and they live vicariously through us. There's some crazy goals, but this series will be like, all right, if you're an ice nerd and you want to learn a ton, here's a ton of information. Um, and like, like fish school basically for people. So it'll be pretty cool. Like I said, it'll, it'll be out shortly. And, um, I guess if people want to look it up, it'll be called expose the ice. It'll still be on the same channel and everything.
0: Sure. But, expose uh, the ice. Yeah. I like that, man. I like that. Yeah. I think that's great, dude. I I think that's great. Like I, I am that kind of guy. Like I, I probably nerd out on fishing more than I actually do it. That's why I have to do a podcast and talk to people's cause I, I don't have enough time to go out and ice fish as much as I want. So it's like, yeah. uh, but I love that kind of content. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that's great promotion. But talk to me about last season specifically. You guys traveled. You traveled a whole bunch. You went to totally brand new places for yourself. You went to you know some places where you had information. I mean, what a what a a, a total like um, you know experience. If you just look at last season as a whole for you guys and your your, your crew and the filming, like you know, how does that really fit in for you? Um, again, like a a personal question as far as like the things that you've learned, some of your perspective.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different factors to the whole traveling thing. I mean, number one, um, you know, going into season three, like there was a very real thought where we were like, okay, I don't know if people are going to want to watch this another year, like after season two, you know, like we, it had been doing good and growing, but like it hadn't exploded yet. So we were like, okay, like, you know, it could be really big or it could fizzle out going into season three. We don't really know. So the biggest thing, I mean, for me and like all the guys was, okay, we put in two years of time, ton of time making this. You know, we have great sponsors like, you know, like Clam and Vexlar and everybody we work with. And we were like, you know, if we put in all this work and stuff, I've always dreamed of being able to travel the country, film a fishing show with my best friends. So last year was kind of like, well, if this is the last year, let's make sure we do it. Um, So we went out and wanted to show some of the other crappie destinations across the country and touch on a few other places. And it was super fun. Um, It was a lot of, I mean, we fished in northern Minnesota to start the year, but, like, dude, like, after, like, December 15th or something, I don't think I wet a line in Minnesota until the end of February Um, because we were just traveling so much. So it was super fun. You learn a lot. Um, I think the biggest thing we learned is how good we have it here. Um, there's a lot of places where the crappies get big and they're cool, but I guess what people in Minnesota don't understand is like the sheer amount of fish we have in our lakes does not exist elsewhere. Like that's not a thing in other places of the United States. Um, Maine is kind of comparable, but some of their lakes, like, don't have very populated fish populations it's just there's some big fish in it um so i think that was something we really learned was how good we have it around here and getting back home laid ice and getting to film a bit around home and like go up to red and stuff like that was was really fun and i think it i mean it also just kind of relit the fire for all of us i think um which which is obviously key
0: If you have any fishing memory or fish that you would like to commemorate with a replica or you have questions about getting fish replicas done, reach out to Jamie Rizavi from Rizavi Taxidermy Studio in New Rockford, North Dakota. Jamie and his crew do next-level work here at the JMO headquarters. We are blessed to have so many replicas made by Jamie. Reach out. You can find him on social media or online at RizaviTaxidermyStudio.com. The link is in the description of this podcast. This is the season for hunting and fishing opportunities in the state of North Dakota. If you hunt big game here, remember to do your part in protecting the herd. And that means knowing and following the regulations regarding chronic wasting disease here in the state of North Dakota, specifically the carcass disposal requirements. Any game carcass waste that is transported outside the hunting unit where the animal is harvested must be disposed of via a landfill or waste management provider. If you're hunting big game in North Dakota, it is your personal responsibility to educate yourself on these regulations and this information. Luckily for you, it's very simple. Just head down to the description of this podcast and click on the link that is gf.nd.gov CWD. That's where you're going to get the information on the regulations and all information regarding chronic wasting disease in the state of North Dakota. Now, Devil's Lake, North Dakota is one of North Dakota's premier outdoor recreational destinations. We talk about the fishing all the time on this show, but to find out what the lake and the community has to offer, which is way more than we ever talk about on this show, you can head to DevilsLakeND.com and get all that. We're talking about the lodging and restaurant options and just the lay of the land and everything going on in the community. There's all kinds of stuff all summer long going on in and around the community of Devil's Lake. Also, our favorite, the fishing tab. It's going to give you real-time fishing reports, directions to fish cleaning stations and boat landings and shore fishing piers, which are awesome, by the way. Also, it's going to give you a list of options for boat rentals or guide services and bait shops. Everything that you need to plan your next adventure in Devil's Lake is at Devil'sLakeND.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. learning that perspective like sometimes sometimes you're looking for something a little more technical you're trying to learn you know you know whether it's patterns or you know you're 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 testing your metal as an angler when you travel but when you when you step back and you look at it you know the big picture kind of view after a season like that and just having that perspective and it lights a brand new fire um, like you said of you Minnesota's like the Jerusalem of crappie fishing and, yeah, uh, it,
1: it's it, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: and I mean, I you know I grew up in like like uh, we really appreciated crappies, you know, because we had them like you know uh, you know definitely a, a wintertime favorite, um, you know, for me and my family growing up. Even in summertime, we fish them a lot, but growing up, but like, uh, but yeah, just ha- having no idea that the rest of the world doesn't have that is um it, it oughta it oughta just crank it up a, a notch in terms of just how you feel about it when you're having a good day. And also definitely one of those big considerations when we talk about conservation and,
1: Oh yeah, for sure. And the concert, I mean, the conservation thing's huge. I think we've preached that for years. Um, but I mean like, and we really nailed it home when we, like I said, we went up to red and filmed the late ice last year and got back on the crappies. And I mean that, that place is about to explode. Um, like it's, it's very good. But, uh, that's kind of what we talk about is we knew everybody was going to figure out that it's really good because it's a number one travel to ice fishing destination in the world. And you just are like, Hey, you don't need to keep 10, like you can keep five or, oh, and you know, just be aware of what you're taking out of a lake. Cause I mean, that's, as we all know, you know, people can go and we keep fish when we film all the time, cause we have a cooking segment. And we show people how to do it. Like we encourage selective harvest, um, but the biggest thing is like, say for example, you go to a place like Red or Lake of the Woods or uh, Go Give It, where, wherever you know you're going on this destination trip, and you're like, well, I'm going for three days, and I bought my limit, so I'm or bought my license, so I'm keeping everything. And you know that's your thought. Well, that's everybody's thought when they go there. So you're like, well, I don't have that big of an effect. I'm only going there for three days. That's what the other 10,000 people doing it are thinking too. So if we can all change our mentality to like being half of that, these fisheries will be able to sustain everything way better. That's why you're seeing limits put on, you know, for walleyes put on red, uh, you know, Mille Lacs, uh, Lake of the Woods, stuff like that. Like the DNR manually says, hey, we can't take all these fish out. So for other species, it's like, hey, we should probably do the same thing. Like, you know, it, it's been proven to work pretty well.
0: Before we completely run out of time, we got plenty of time now, but I feel like we could stick, stick on this for a little while is, you know, you guys work with companies and you have your signature gear, you know, like specifically I'm talking like your rods. You guys have your uh, the rods with Thorn Brothers. I find that to be interesting and I get questions all the time. From people that say that you know, uh, you know more information on the custom rod deal, and you know, you know the, the things that go into um, building a rod. Like, what is that like for you? I want to talk a little bit about that. Like, you guys have your rods, your signature rods with Thorn Brothers. Talk to me a little bit about that whole thing for you, you know, designing a rod and what you like to have in a rod. What are some of the differences in the rod? What do you like in a rod like like talk to me a little bit about that whole custom rod development and uh, you know, just sort of how that came to be for you guys.
1: Yeah. Um so the rod side came to us because I mean we've worked with Thorn forever and we were like, hey, we should, you know, make, you know, we make rods for ourselves already. Why don't we make a chronicle series to get people into like the Thorn Brothers custom rod lineup. And I think the most intimidating thing for people is they don't know what they want. So what we did was we were like, okay, well, we'll just make, you know, this really sick lineup of rods. And then people can buy one of those. They get an idea of what they like and then they can modify from there. Right. But the thought process behind our rods, I guess is a little different than I would say the industry standard um, and I could be wrong here. I mean, but this is what I think is a lot of people make rods for a certain price point. You know, obviously there's margins, whatever. And, um, they gotta, they gotta keep their business going. When we looked at, you know, Ben and Kurt and all the guys at Thorn, and we were like, okay, so we want to make these rods, but we're going to make them literally the best ice rod you can make. Like we're not skimping on any of the recoil guides Um, any of the spring bobbers, like anything. If we want it, it's going into it. The price is gonna be really high, but we're gonna be able to look at people and say, This is literally the rod I use. I could not envision a rod that's better. Like you could not upgrade components or anything. So that's how we went through making our rods because that's what we want to put in people's hands. I want to be able to say, like, yeah, hey, you spent $150 on an ice rod. Like that's an expensive ice rod, you know but you're not going to regret it. Like you're going to love it. And that's uh, that was the biggest thing for us there. And now that people have gotten, you know, say my rod and they use it, they're like, Oh, this is sweet, you know, but I, I want something for spoons and then they're able to either make their own or they go to Waldo or pinks. Cause they're like, okay, I kind of get what I like and how it works the bait um, and I think that's the biggest thing for custom rods in general is they allow you to work a bait correctly, and that's that's why we have our lineup. Like we have Griffs, which is a schoolie rod um, for you know very very lethargic fish, uh, micro movements, small tungsten's works great. Um, then you have my rod, which is for bigger tungstens, just a really versatile ice rod in general with a spring bobber. And then, you know, you got Waldo's noodle rod, which that's like the pinhead pro rod. That's that rod was basically made to fish pinheads. Um, and now Tika flashes, it works pretty good on too. Uh, but then when you get to bigger Tika flashes, bigger pinheads, you know, more aggressive baits, we like to blade jig with a full minnow sometimes. Uh, that's when you get to Pink's Rod. So we have something there for everybody, and we wanted to make sure we did that. But I would say the biggest thing we did was just if you're going to buy a custom rod, man, what's the difference in spending $130 bucks and $150? And I guess that's my mind. Like, you're like, I'm spending the money already. Just give me the good components.
0: Yeah. Like, the amount of people out there that are spending, you know, 100 bucks on an individual. Like ice fishing rod, I I feel like it's astonishing. I'm I'm a little old school and traditional. I didn't you know I I, I didn't come up, you know, uh, uh, in that kind of an environment where everybody was like rocking all that nice stuff. Like it's sort of a learned behavior for me. Like the industry has exposed me to this. I, I think it's crazy how many people. But then when you get your hands on one, that's another one of those influences that the industry did for me. Is like once I got my hands on some of that stuff, was like oh now I can't. It, you can't go back.
1: Yeah, and I think it just makes the experience more enjoyable. That's what it comes down to.
0: Yeah, dude. And and tell me a little more about your rod specifically. Like like you know, give me give me the read me the brochure on your rod. I kind of like the you know getting into it and just sort of like what you were thinking and what your thought process was when you were kind of looking at building a rod that you were going to put your name on.
1: Yeah. So mine is a hand fish blank. Um, so it's it's much more moderate. It's not like so everybody makes noodle blanks right now, um, which is you know great, they're used for a reason, but that's your like jigging, set the hook, backbone hits in the first like six inches, right? Well, this panfish blank that Thorn Brothers has, um, and that's also what Pink's Rod is. This is a very moderate blank. So when you set the hook, the whole rod loads. And the biggest thing for us with really big fish and big crappies specifically is they have fragile mouths. So when you hook them, you need something to give and you don't want it to be your line because your line will break and that needs to be your rod, right? And your drag. Um, So that was the biggest thing with mine. And then putting a spring bobber on it and recoil guides was like, we just want to make my rod is the very versatile rod. Like if you're going to buy a rod to get into custom rods or ice fishing, you mainly use tungsten jigs. That's, that's what my rod is. Like it's made for the first people to kind of get into it. Uh, and then we put a four and a half inch wing grip handle on it. Handles are kind of, I mean, it's whatever your style is. We like those because uh, we don't pistol grip. So we, we hold the rods over the top. And that allows us to feel the blank and like hold everything correctly for the most part. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's the biggest thing that went into ours. We like longer rods in general. Um, but we, we did, I think the first year Waldo had his rod, it might've been a 42 inch or something like that noodle, which was cool and it was fun to fish with, but there's also a point where you get to where rods are so long that you like can't reach down and grab a fish and, um, everything gets a little harder. So we kind of started shrinking back a little bit. Um, especially when you're fishing outside in the wind. I mean, that's why Griff's rods only like 19 inches with a two inch spring bobber, or it might be an inch and a half, something like that.
0: Yeah, dude, I don't know. I don't, I don't do enough, uh, that style of fishing. Um, you know, uh, you know, the, the schoolie, but Griff, he, he makes that look, uh, easy. Like, yeah, like
1: dude, schoolies are fun. I, I had not done it until the last like year and a half. Schoolies are a blast, especially a schoolie is great if you are out with a bunch of friends and they're catching fish and you're not. And I speak to this as the guy who sometimes isn't catching fish when I'm out with Griffin Waldo and Pink. And it's because they're crushing them. I'm grabbing the camera. And then when I get to put a line down, I'm so fired up, I can't work a bait right well, what a what a schoolie allows you is is since your hand has to be over the top and basically palming that reel, your wrist cannot move like so fast that you're overworking a bait. Like it doesn't allow you to overwork a bait. So if you need to learn jig cadence, how to get fish to bite, how to slow down, that's where a schoolie rocks. So once I started picking that up last year a little bit more, I started catching a lot more fish because I mean, you you hear like us say and guys say all the time, like, oh, dude, just drop a pinhead minnow down and pound it. Well, what's your definition of pound it? Because I watch Griffin Waldo fish a pinhead and they're whacking them and I can't get a bite. And I think I'm, you know, pounding it or working it the way they are, but I'm not, obviously, because I'm not getting bit. So then you go grab a schoolie and you're like, okay, this is actually the movement they're doing. And then you go back to your regular rod and you can transfer that if that makes sense. Like schoolies are awesome. I think everybody should get one just to like, you will notice how bad of a, how bad of a jig fisherman you might actually be when it comes down to it. Like you learn a lot from using a schoolie and they're really fun. (laughs) Yeah, dude, you,
0: you made a, you made a point there. Like I'm glad you brought it up, man. Like, it's like, you know, cameraman to cameraman, it's like, If you're trying to fish and be a cameraman, there's so many things going, working against you. Like if you're on even like an, even, even a moderate bite, like it can be an average or like a moderate bite and you're still going to, you're still so, you know, handcuffed and like definitely when I watch like your guys or anybody's stuff or just, you know, like the industry, I think that stuff is, it's so uh, funny because it's a behind the scenes kind of thing. Nobody really cares or is going to want to listen to excuses, but the reality is it's like. All those guys are like they're sitting quietly by a hole that was drilled 30 minutes ago and and you're as a cameraman you're running and gunning to get all this footage like you're constantly walking to and from a hole you're constantly you know moving around on the ice you you know you're spooking you're spooking your own fish all the time, uh, you know. Like yeah, you said, exactly. like you gotta get in a groove and catch a couple of fish to have confidence, right? Like that's something that everybody talks about. Well, what do the fish want? What do the fish want? But you're yeah, you're constantly dropping down after you've had your hands out, you know, off a rod for an hour, and it's like there's just so many things that um, being a cameraman or being committed to that part, that side, you know, uh, of the content. Uh, it is definitely not for everybody. That's where, like, yeah, you know, people go out and then they kind of get bummed out, you know, because they didn't have as much fun as everybody else had. And it's like, oh, but yeah, dude, being committed to that stuff is important. And, uh, it, yeah, I could definitely feel for you on that deal.
1: Yeah. Like, if, if you see, if you pay attention to our videos kind of in depthly, um, it's more behind the scenes stuff, but in the videos where we've absolutely smashed them like tons of big ones, like just crazy bite and everything. I typically don't catch many, if any, after the first like 10 minutes of the video. Yeah. Because I'm sitting there going, okay, this is going down. Like I have to make sure I film everything correctly. Now, like these guys are on it. I'm going to let them go. I might get one later, but like right now that's my job. But then if you look at bites where maybe it's a little tough or, you know, we're working differently or whatever, those are the episodes where I tend to catch big ones because I get equal time. Yeah. You get equal time (laughs) as everyone
0: else. Yeah, dude, totally. I see that. Believe me, man. I see that. Like I see that a hundred (laughs) percent. There's no question. Other people like don't, but it's, whether they care or not to hear us talk about it, like you would be together. Like, I, I think that's fine to bring light to that because dude, there's so much context there. Like I would just dare anybody that's, you know, fancies themselves, like the best angler in their group of friends and then go out and then make them be the cameraman for the day. Like, dude, like it's a full commitment, man. Like it's a full commitment and you are going to sacrifice you know, your, yourself or like your own opportunities, a thousand percent. Like there's just no question, but without oh, it, sure. without you, without you making those sacrifices, you probably don't even feel like they're sacrificed at the time. Cause you, you know, it's like you know, some, some of us are just, I like doing it. Like I like putting together good footage. Like I love filming people catch big fish. Like, like, yeah, like just as much as I like would, would probably like to catch them myself, like enough time goes by and it's like, man, I'd really like to catch one of these, but it's like, you know, that stuff is really important. So yeah, dude, I think that's a fair point. That's kind of a funny, I don't like, I I think that that's a totally fair point to bring up because, because I imagine you guys get, you guys probably get a little bit of feedback on that stuff too, where, um, you know, you know, it, it, it's kind of like whichever one of you guys can just pretend like you have no clue how to run a camera whatsoever is going to create more uh, fishing time for yourself. So I'm sure none of your buddies are like just calling you in the off season, like, Hey, you should teach me how to run a camera this year. You know? Yeah.
1: No, <laughs> no, 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 dude. And that's just like, it just makes me think of like, lat- I mean, for the most part, I don't really like, I don't pay attention to negative comments and we, we don't get very many of them. So it's whatever, but like, the this pertains to what we're talking about perfectly last year we put out a video or whatever and i hadn't really been catching them great at the start of the year but once again i'm making sure we're filming everything rusty everything so we go into this video and we're absolutely pile driving them and i cannot get one to bite but i'm constantly like grabbing camera move Guys, go over, pluck two 14s out of a hole, film it, move, pluck a 15. Like, there's stuff. It, it was a 30 minute span where we caught like 14 giants. So, like, there's constant movement going on. And this, this one person, and uh, he's actually a great fan of ours and everything. So, like, it, it's totally fine. But it was funny because it pertains. He commented, like, Man, I've been holding out on saying this, but like Bart, you really need to slow down your jigging cadence and blah, like all this. Oh, approach, like giving right? you
0: fishing advice. Yeah,
1: yeah, like giving me tips and everything. And there are a bunch of likes on it. It's the only comment that <laughs> ever like ever like drove home to me. And I typed like five different responses, and I ended up deleting all of them and just moving on with my life. But the one thing I thought of <laughs> that that I was like, okay, if anybody's gonna chirp me in the comments online about maybe not getting one after the guys are smashing them. All I want you to do is come out with us sometime. I'm going to let all them catch 20, 14 to 15s right before you. You have to film them all. It's, the sun's going down, so you know the bite's going out, and I'm going to hand you a rod and say, go catch one. I guarantee you, you will go drop down, and that bait will be working so fast that fish will never see it. And it is so hard to just, like, chill out and calm down and be like, okay, this is what's happening, but this is how I got to work it. Cause once again, like we said before, you're not in a rhythm. So you're just trying to get in a rhythm when they're already in a rhythm and it never works. Yeah. So, that that's something like that. I'm always like, okay, yeah, sure. I'll take I'll take feedback from the guy who didn't just watch all these fish get caught <laughs> for 15 minutes, and yeah. then they'll be like, here, Bart, you go try. And I'm like, yeah, why won't dude. it bite? And then it uh, won't bite, and it makes you even matter because Griff sets a hook right next to you into another one, and you're like, you got to be kidding me.
0: Oh yeah, dude, <laughs> dude. There's just you could you oh, yeah. There's just never enough footage you can air to give full context to that, unless somebody actually knows what's going on. Like, yeah. like, 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 oh, yeah. dude, like, and if you did, if you did catch them, they would just be the most suicidal fish of all time. Like it would be the most insane bite that, you know, nobody needs to learn anything about anyways. Cause they're just like suicidal fish. Like, like it, it's kudos to the fish that like, it takes a little know-how to catch them. And it's like, you guys are showcasing that that should be part of the part of what, how you see it as like, okay, it's just, it's literally not that easy. These guys got it down. Like, cause, yeah. cause if you could just like do absolutely nothing, but drop a hook down and, and whack, you know, back to back 15s, like you guys sometimes showcase, like so much more goes into that. And the fact that like, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. I don't know. I, I try not to. I don't read any comments or do anything like that either. But if I ever saw something like that on your guys' stuff, I'd be the guy. I'd be the guy to come on in. I'd just come on in from left field and just be like, all right, let me break it down for you there. Nacho Libre. Yeah, yeah. Like, dude, like this dude, you're not you're watch, you're not watching anything if this dude doesn't decide to film this stuff. And because he's doing that. Like it just you, you just don't you just just yeah, you got like what well, do you easy. think
1: I'm not jacked up too? like, yeah, like trust me, we don't get immune to the fact that we just taught like twelve of them in a row, like we're still like, holy cow, I can't believe that worked. (laughs) So we're freaking out too. Like our excitement is genuine. So when I drop down and try to catch one, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do very good because my excitement is genuine. And that's why everybody likes the show, you know? Oh yeah. And that's, yeah, you talked about suicidal fish. And I guess that that's another reason we're excited kind of to come back home. As crazy as it sounds is like, dude, a lot of those places we went, the fish are pretty dumb. Like, yeah there were certain intricacies to like get them to bite and do things but for the most part a lot of the places we went are fairly remote the fish are fairly dumb like and maybe it's like conceited as it sounds to say like it wasn't really that hard um whereas like when you come back around the metro it's hard but it's very rewarding so like last year we'd be filming a video and catch like five 13s and a 14 and you're like oh cool you know and you like start throwing them back and like i'm looking at waldo i'm like dude if we just did that in the metro we would be losing our minds right now and that that's the thing where i think people get confused about what we say when we're like you know the metro has the biggest crappies dude around the metro by like or like up north the up Maine, wherever you want to talk about right canada has the greatest number of 13 to 15s, like, without a doubt. There are so many 13 to 15s. But what we're, we're always saying is, is up north, a lot of those fish get stunted at that 15 mark or just don't really grow bigger because it's so much colder and stuff like that. Whereas when you get to the metro, you don't have as many of those fish. But if a fish in the metro reaches 15, it's probably going to grow to 18. So that's where you're getting those bigger ones. And that's where we're like, okay, that that's why we love this area is the fish don't stop growing. Like they get crazy big. If you ever see a big crappie in a uh, good old target walleye or posted online, like there's a very, very, very strong chance. It was caught within 60 miles of the twin cities.
0: Yeah. 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 That's a strong point to make. And again, you know, just after last season where you guys really traveled a lot You know, it's just great perspective and great learning that, you know, There, and for people that do, you know, maybe struggle, um, you know, with sort of the nuance of some of these things and and they struggle with, um, you know, doing battle with some of those big metro crappies. Like if you just want to pad your stats with a lot of, you know, like you said, that 12 to 14 or 13 to 15 inches, like do your research and probably the best place you could go would be to go find some dumb fish up north, no doubt. No doubt about it. And
1: like people are like, Oh, the lakes are so secret. It's like, I don't know if you do a little bit of research, it's pretty easy to figure out where the good lakes are this year. Like they cycle all the time, but, and they normally get completely eradicated by people keeping a bunch of them. But, um, they, they cycle and you get out there, you run into a good school and you catch a bunch of them. Like your average up North is 10 to 12 inches. Your average in the Metro is like six to eight. Right. But you're trading the upper echelon and that that's what we care most about especially like heading into season four like I feel like on film and you know in general we've I think we've proven a lot and all we need to prove for the most part on like catching a lot of really big copies Um, now it's like okay we want to film the one like the one that everybody wants to see and trust me there's nobody who wants to see it more than we do (laughs) So yeah, trying, trying to get that 18 on camera. Um, it's very, very tough, which we knew it would be, but we knew it would be, but based on averages of Griff catching them, we should have got one by now. <laughs> so we're kind of, we're kind of do. Yeah. Yeah, man. But I know
0: I like it, man, you know, coming full circle in this conversation. I just, I just like the, I like it all. I like the, you know, the industry talk, the you know, and, 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 you know, I get all kinds of questions, you know, I love the conversation around the fishing rods and the rod design, some of your decision-making there and, and, um, you know, just kind of educating people a little bit on, on what your rods are like and, and what to look for in a custom rod. I think that's a great conversation with you. And then the behind the scenes talk is just fun for sure. And, uh, yeah, dude, like, yeah, just like being able to catch up with you guys and, and, uh, and just sort of, getting kicking this this uh this season off a little bit with just some of this these fun entertaining conversations man and um i look forward to you know you and and the crew you know um checking it out when things get fired up uh definitely have to have uh have somebody or or a few of you guys on um this winter or, or later on when get a little bit of an update on how things are going but uh but, yeah, dude, I appreciate the time, Bart. Anything else uh, Anything else that comes to mind, early ice, like things that you're dealing with right now, fishing-wise, that um, that you find uh, interesting or fun conversations that you've had that we should touch on before we sign off?
1: I mean, honestly, not really anything. Once I get out fishing, I'll have a little bit more, but I don't know exactly what the state of everything's at yet. Um, the, only, the only tip I'd give everybody is, because a ton of people are going to buy Tika Flashes, um, I mean they're selling really, really fast right now. And we were some of the you know people that got to test them last year. And the one feedback I'll give people, because I know I know it's gonna happen through testing it, the 116th size, when you get it, it's a very, very, very good bait. Uh it comes with a number 18 hook on it. You want to upsize to a number 16 or a number 14. I don't know what it is with the one sixteenth size and stuff. It fouls a little bit, and for some reason, the hookup ratio just is not nearly as good as the one thirty second and the three thirty second. But it's a very good size and a very good bait. So that's all we did when we got them. We we went up to red, and you know, you saw us miss some fish there, and you're like, "Oh, why are they missing fish? They're you know choking on the bait." And that that was why. And then we went out the next time, put a number sixteen or a number fourteen gaff hook on uh, that number 6 or that 16th ounce tika flash and it works fine. Um it looks a little weird cuz the hooks a little bit bigger than the bait, but it'll it'll work great. So that would be my one tip for people. If you're going to go buy a bunch of tika flashes, just also buy a pack of number 16 hooks. You can pick the color. Uh Clam came out with a bunch of gaff hooks. Uh you can pick the color you want to pair to it. Just grab a split ring pliers thread it on and uh you'll have you'll have a better experience that that is the only feedback i got on those because like i said i'm sure a bunch of people are going to buy them because they're they're a very hot commodity right now
0: that's good tip that's good technical stuff man i appreciate it that's what we'll close out on a good technical tip from adam bartusik crappie chronicles i love the updates man i love the conversation and i appreciate your time man i'll let you back to it
1: all right thank you man